Welcome to the Be Real Podcast. I'm Diana Gasparoni. I'm a visionary psychotherapist, CEO, and founder of Be Well Psychotherapy and Be Her Programs. I am Ednisha Salisbury. I am a therapist, speaker, trainer, and co-creator of Black Woman Be Whole. Each week, we will talk about the journey of mental health wellness. We will talk about why your mental health is just as important as your physical health and the connection that being mentally well has on all areas of your life. We will be interviewing psychotherapists, doctors from both Eastern and Western disciplines, authors, change makers, thought leaders, and more. Our mission is to bring you information that is both thought provoking and encourages you to look closer at your mental and emotional well-being. We give you tips and insights to taking the next steps. If you have already gotten into the door, we'll get you to go a little deeper. Each week, we're going to have real conversations, helping you work through your mental wellness questions and reminding you that you are not alone. Mental wellness is our passion. We practice what we preach. It is our mission to touch as many souls as we can with this content and leading you to a place of mental clarity and well-being. So for the next hour, let's work together, lay back on the couch and get real. Well, here we are at Be Real. Hi, Anisha. Hi, Diana. We are back <laughs> on Friday afternoon now, right? Yes, recording day is now Friday afternoons for now. And here we are together. How was your week? I'm just trying to figure out, as I'm thinking about my week, what, what were my wins of the week? Because, you know... Now we're in month five, I heard. I, yeah. <laughs> I was told it's been brutally hot here in New York. You know, trying to come up with the win. It's <laughs> been difficult. It's a, little bit, it's a little bit harder. It's definitely a little bit harder. Um, I think for me, oh, you know what? I was super psyched. I gave a kick-ass presentation on Tuesday to a, yes. to a corporation. That was cool. Um, it was cool to be able to, I got, oh, wait, that was a big day. I got my hair blown out. Hello. Okay. I felt like all, a, this, all the wins, oh, big and all small. The wins, all the wins. I got a blowout. Okay. I put on a dress. I had my nails done. Ooh. I like got it together. Like I was going to be on stage. I really did. I was like, I got like it to go. <laughs> together. Like I was packing up my PowerPoint presentation, my slide deck, and I was going and standing up on the stage and I was going to do my thing. I put on makeup. All right. I showed up with some lipstick on. It was, they were fashion people. So I wanted to make sure that I yeah, pulled you had to pull together. it together. <laughs> and I put on a dress and I came upstairs in my loft and I got on Zoom <laughs> and I nailed it. <laughs> <sighs> yes. So that was, that's my win for the week. Okay. Um, okay. So we're that's talking my first wins. One. We're two wins. That's my first one. And you go. Okay. Give me a win. So you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in line with you. Um, last night I did a kick-ass panel discussion on, um, mental health, um, among people of color. And I thought I did really, really good. Um, if I saw me, I would want me to be my dad's. Like I would, I would want that. So I was pretty happy. I thought my energy was really good. Um, I have my really pink, pretty lipstick on that I love. It's actually fuchsia. Um, 
yeah, I felt really good about it. And I had some people call me and say that they really enjoyed it. It was on, um, it was streaming live on Facebook. So it was nice. As uh, someone who watched you streaming live on Facebook, <laughs> and I often say this, I would see you. I would come and see you. There's no question about it. And you were upbeat, and that panel was kick-ass, and you did a great job. So, yes. Thank you. A win. So we've had two speaking wins this week, the two of we've us. That's two, always good. We've had two speaking wins. That's true. And if anybody's listening and they need a speaker, we are available. <laughs> we can even do it together. Yeah. Which would be a double win right there. <laughs> it would be a yes. double win. We have done it together. Um, let's see. My other win for the week. You know what? This is a win. Okay. So um, I know my sister's listening and I'm only supposed to small business shop and keep small yeah. businesses alive. I didn't. I kept a big business alive. But I just refreshed all my tank tops, which... Oh. I mean, it's kind of a big deal because I do tend, love a tank top. I love a tank top <laughs> and, um, it was time and Target stopped making my favorite tank top. So I had to go someplace else. It was really, it was, you know, and if you can get, it's devastating. Like you're in Target and you're like, okay, you know exactly where to go and you know what you want and you're just going to buy three and go home. And the three that you have in your drawer that like you're embarrassed to put on because you've been wearing it for so long and you got to throw them out and you're like, oh. Eesh, nuts. I got to go someplace else. So I just refreshed them all and I have a whole new set. I have to be wearing on right now. No one can see it except for you, but I'm showing nice. you. Yeah. I mean, I like a tank top. You can wear it on it. You know, it's just very versatile. It goes yeah. under a cardigan. As soon as the weather changes, it's going to go under a cardigan. So yeah, I feel I good about it. it. And I like my new brand. I'm not going to say where I got it because Nikki's listening. Okay. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. So I think my second win of the week is um, I've been taking walks since the pandemic, right? So that's not new. However, I now have started walking all of Central Park. So that's new. So it's a couple more miles that I'm walking. That's the first thing. Are you I really love. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I do 59 to 110. Um, oh, this so. is by a loop, girl. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the loop. Hold on, let's slow that down, guys. <laughs> Maybe just the straight west side. I go. So that's probably three miles. There we, we go. go right in the. You know, there's the the big loop, and then there's the little loop. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that because I was I was thinking about extending my time. So yes, that's that's something I wanted. Um, okay. So I've been doing that. Okay. And then as I was walking the other day, oh, I did two. I did a two a day. So I walked at seven fifteen in the morning, and I went back at seven fifteen at night. So my night run or slash walk, I ran into one of my old friends. So for you guys that don't know, way, way back in the day, I used to work at a gym. I used to sell health club memberships and I was a really good salesperson. Okay. Just want to put that out there. And so I have a lot of personal trainer friends. And so he was doing, he had just finished doing um, a boot camp class and I hadn't seen him, Simon, his Simon, in case you're listening one day. Um, <laughs> and we started talking and he wants me to be on his board because of the whole mental health stuff. But then I was like, hey, I want to work out more. And so uh, yesterday I went to his boot camp class at 1230 in the afternoon. It was roughly 92 degrees. Ooh. It was brutal, but I really enjoyed myself. So now I'm going to go twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I will be at his boot camp class on 74th Street in Central Park. Yes, at noon. I'm there. 
at 1230 in the afternoon. Yes. Make sure you hydrate, but that is impressive. So that's my other win. All right. Look at us. Two wins for the week. That's big. I like it. Um, (laughs) You know, every so often while we're we're here, we get a little flashing note from our producer. And he found a sour pat, a, a Sour, sour apple. apple. What is candy? Jolly Rancher. Jolly Rancher. Oh, it's nothing like a Jolly Rancher. That's back when you had good teeth. Like you would try and chew a Jolly Rancher. Right now, you might not want to do that when you get a little older. <laughs> no, <laughs> my no, and you definitely don't want the Jolly Rancher that you found at the bottom of your pocket. Like it's covered. No. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Right, maybe we should tell our listeners about who we have on today. Our guests. I know we have maybe a we should show. go there. We do. We have a great show. We have a great show. Um, I just, Anisha's going to tell you who she is, but I love this girl. So go. Okay. So she is Jessica B. Perez. She's a Latina from North Philly. Jessica received her MSW in New York City, where she started her career in social work, working with families from the Lower East Side and from um, Bedford Cyrus in Brooklyn. Jessica moved back to Philadelphia to continue her work in the predominantly Latinx Hispanic community by managing an at-risk youth program funded by the city of Philadelphia, where she was providing supportive and therapeutic services. In addition, she continued to provide individual and family therapy through mobile services. And she is currently a licensed school social worker in Camden, New Jersey, working with the Latinx, Hispanic and black community there. Jessica is committed to the practice as a school social worker and works with children and families as a certified trauma clinician. She is passionate about her K through eighth grade students and contributing to designing and implementing systems within the school system and community to promote mental health and link resources to overcome barriers which limit the success of disadvantaged families. So she is definitely in the community. Um, She loves working with the Latinx and Hispanic community, which she's a part of. So I can't wait to talk with her. What about you? I am so looking forward to it. I haven't seen Jessica in a long time, but we are going to get to know how I know her in a minute. So everybody grab your tea, sit back, put your feet up and have a listen. As you know, I am a huge supporter of therapy. And if there was ever a time to prioritize your mental well-being, it's now. As the founder of Be Well Psychotherapy, I am proud to announce my team is leading the way in online therapy. Be Well is based in New York City, and we were one of the first practices to pivot to online therapy with the outbreak of COVID-19. With over 15 licensed therapists, Be Well offers a variety of methodologies and approaches so you can select a therapist that is a good fit for you. We help individuals of all ages, including kids, teens, couples, and wait for it, we even have online group therapy. There is no need to struggle alone with feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, or loss. To learn more, visit BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, that's one word, to 484848 to get connected with a therapist today. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, one word, B-E-W-E-L-L, to 484848 to get connected to a therapist today. And now back to our amazing show. And here we are. It's me, Diana, and welcome to Be Real. And who's with me today? 
co-host. Alicia, I am here. Always. Here we Every are. Friday. Every Friday. <laughs> hanging out in a pandemic. Putting on a podcast. Well, I am honored and super excited today. So we have Jessica Perez, who was one of my interns when I was the director of social services at the Go Project about, we decided it was 10 years ago. And nothing makes me happier than when I reconnect with an intern and I see how successful they are. And Jessica is going to talk to us today. She is our representative for um, Minority Mental Health Month, which we are going to rebrand with a different name of the Latinx. Am I saying that right? Latinx, Latinx, Latinx community. So we're just going to jump right in and get started. So first, Jessica, welcome. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me, Diana. I am a Latina from North Philadelphia. I studied at NYU, took my talents and began studying at NYU, um, where I worked at a school in Bedside, Brooklyn. That was my first field placement. And then I had the pleasure <laughs> of meeting you and working with you at the Gold Project and working with families on the Lower East Side, um, which was such an eye opener. And it was it, it was a great experience. And it was something that sparked my passion of continuing this work with children and families, especially working in the urban communities. So uh, now from my experience in New York, I came back, moved back to Philadelphia, where I ran an at-risk youth program funded by the state, uh, well, the city of Philadelphia. It was great. I was a supervisor at 25, um, running a whole program. I probably wasn't the best, but it was a learning curve for me. <laughs> it was learning. All in all, I took a lot of great things, and I wanted to get back in the school system. And now I currently work for the Mastery Charter Schools, which originally started in Philadelphia. Now we're in Camden. I, I'm a co-founder of the Mastery Charter Schools in um, Camden. We started from the bottom and I work with my beautiful students from kindergarten to eighth grade. And that's what I'm doing now. And that's my passion. And I did a little like mo mobile services just to keep that clinical work with family. And I'm here. That's amazing. Um, I want to know a little bit. I know Anisha has a question, but can we start with, <laughs> I can see it on her face. She's like, I'm ready to go. But can you talk a little bit about being a founder of this program, of this um, charter school? Yes. I'm super excited to hear all about it. So um, the Mastery Charter School was created and developed in Philadelphia all around um, different areas of Philadelphia. They did not reach um, Camden yet. So when I came on board, we had, we started from the bottom in Camden um, with knowing our families, with linking resources, with also, I think um, the Hispanic community is very uh, predominant in Camden. I don't think Mastery has worked um, with the Hispanic community a lot in Philadelphia. So by the time I came, we did a lot of push and, and really getting that cultural aspect on how do we service our Latin community as well as our Black community in Camden. And I like to say that I was a part of that and learning yeah. that and um, forming that. 
So um, when I say I'm a co-founder, not of the Mastery School System, but Mastery School System in, in Camden. Um, Camden. You brought resources where they were needed. Anisha did a little research on Camden earlier today. Yes, Jessica. So I know a little bit about Camden because I used to live in Philadelphia. I went to graduate school at Temple. When I think about Camden, I always think about the aquarium. (laughs) I totally (laughs) love the Camden Aquarium and it has like such a beautiful waterfront. I also know another thing about Camden, which is it has a really high rate of like violent crime, unemployment and poverty. Right. So at one point it was actually dubbed the most dangerous city in New Jersey. So when I read that, I thought about how does that impact the work you do with the population that you see, right? I know that you are a certified trauma clinician, so I can imagine a trauma that results from like some of those statistics that I mentioned. So if you could talk to us a little bit more about that. So it does um, impact um, the work that we do, especially the families that we work with. One of the things that I realized, and I, I don't see this kind of um, relationship in Philadelphia so much because Camden is so small they're also extremely connected and they are they have this um connection with each other and with their communities that they keep tight I think if you look now Camden's crime rate has gone down a lot and when I look at Camden and coming into Camden five years ago I've seen a lot of their resources multiply from providing new charter schools, new education systems for the children. A lot of the charter schools have more resources within the education system. So I see a lot of students being involved in the education system. And so, but that doesn't take away from the trauma they still experience. What I've seen is, especially with the students that I've worked with, providing those resources within our education system, which is the primarily, primary primary (laughs) source of um, entry into resources for children. We have done a great job providing that and looking for places where we can pull money to provide that service for our children. And that's not even, that's just our school, but also when we talk about the community, the community community are, are also doing the same thing. There are a lot of organizations in Camden that are centered and took this idea and this framework of trauma-informed. Let's be trauma-informed. Let's be trauma-aware. We have a trauma coalition in New Jersey, in the Camden County, where we get together. And this is not just the schools, people of the schools. These are people of different agencies, adult agencies, children agencies, state agencies who are coming together and saying, what framework are you using? What are you doing? What does trauma-informed look like in um, the community level, in the direct service le- level? What does it look like? What do we need to expand on? And and they've all been coming with the same motive that we have to address the trauma. We have to address resources. We have to address it in a way that we are not, you know, we're not sitting here and further damaging the youth in this community and the families in this community. So I think that with that change, it has improved. And I know that Camden has been on the map for the worst time rate. <laughs> However, <laughs> if we look at, if we look at, especially in this time, in this recent time of protest and racial injustice and um, racial tension, Camden has been the community that has come together and said, 
we want to stand with our community, even the police districts. We want to stand with our community. We want to get out into our community. We want to let them know that this is a problem and we're going to change it. And that's, you know, you've seen the police officers marching. And I think that that went around, that image went around the world because Camden, who has been seen as the, you know, the highest crime rate is also pushing that we are community focused, that we are looking out for each other. And when I work in Camden, I see that police officers are coming in and their approach is not just let me arrest or let me, you know, let let me criminalize. It's no, let's work together. And I think that that's the reason why you did not see a lot of uproar in Camden um, and a lot of riots in Camden. There were protests. It was peaceful. You had officers working together because the community relationship is um, really, really strong in Camden. Yeah, that's amazing. And what to be a part of that change and be in that community. I mean, you said you've been there for five years, right? Well, six years now. <laughs> six years. So, I mean, you're make the work that you started in the school is making such a ripple. There's such a ripple effect and such an impact. I know from having... I'm sure you just have gotten better and better because I'm like, as we're talking, I'm seeing you sit at that little desk at the earth school, like at that little round table running your group. So um, I'm having that moment. We have a moment every week where I, my heart gets really full and I'm having that moment. And so knowing that like you have brought that skill set, and when we start working with kids, we work with families and then things just ripple out. I think you should take complete credit for not having any of uh uproar in camden i think it i think you did i think you did it (laughs) i think you should take credit for all of it personally because i think social workers are what actually start those things yes i agree i know um okay let's see let's move on Let's just get right in there and talk about what kind of barriers you have been seeing in the Latinx community in regards mm-hmm. to therapy and services and getting services and all of those things. One of the the major, and I have to start with like just coming from a Latin um, Hispanic culture, there is there is this stigma already in mental health. It's funny. I I I spoke to my dad last night, right, and so like. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> he's um, really trying to process like a grief that he's going through. And I'm putting my dad on the spot here a little bit, but <laughs> okay, he's, uh, he's trying to process that. And so um, he turns to me and he's like, you know, I'm really thinking about going to counseling. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Look at the influence you were having everywhere. Go ahead. <laughs> right. So I was like, oh my goodness, dad, really? And so like, And I look at just what mental health and receiving services from mental health um, and the stigma about mental health or speaking to someone or going like, you know, we in our culture, especially those who have um, who are foreign born um, Hispanics and, and Latinos coming in their mental health is not a thing. Right. Like. I, if they have an issue and they're dealing with their emotions, you either handle it on your own, you suck it up, you ignore it, you don't talk to anyone else outside the family, right? Or you go to the priest, you go to a psychic, 
you go and the psychics you got to go to the psychics you look to spirituality you look to your religion right and so that's like a big thing about looking at mental health like understanding those dynamics because they're deep rooted in our tradition and so going to an outside agency is something that is you know it's kind of not common and it really not even that it's not common is looked down upon so then if we i think it's important to know that on top of so like if you're coming with this background already right then you're coming and you're like you're in america and you're in the u.s and then you're like okay well like if they say that i have to do this how am i going to understand there's a language barrier right there is the limitations to receiving health care affordable health care quality health care you know and then we're looking at the lack of well i said that the lack of cultural right, right. to understand this uh us culture and we see it more with um us born um latin acts and hispanics that they're into the our american culture of mental health but you don't see that in traditional mental um traditional culture and so we look at that we look at what their legal status is you know because mm. a lot oh, right. of a lot of immigrants feel that if i go out and i and i put this out there that i am going to you know get investigated or looked at and you know so i'll handle it myself because anything that means i have to go to an institution means i'm putting myself at risk of of someone coming after ice coming after me right right so even from that perspective like if you when you think about it and thank you so much because i often I I will forget that part, right? Like if your parent is an immigrant and maybe undocumented and you as the child who is older and maybe make, advocating for themselves and deciding to go into therapy, but it, with that cultural piece, are you risking anything happening to your family? Like all of that that could happen within, I mean, that in itself is just, is a trauma, just the, the thought. Right. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I think about when I worked in a mental health clinic in the Bronx for many years, um, we had one Spanish speaking therapist. So when you talked about language barrier, my thought was just finding Spanish speaking therapists. That's also a huge barrier. Like there was always a wait list for clients who needed a Spanish speaking therapist. 90% of the therapists at the clinic spoke only English. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about like, and then you think about the materials, right? Are they in Spanish, right? Have they been translated so people can understand them, right? Whatever screening tools we might use, like when we screen for depression, are those materials translated again in Spanish in the language that they can understand? So I think that that whole, that thing is very important. And also, if you think about the language barrier, then you also have to think about what is the percentage of mental health clinicians that are Latinx? So I did the research, it's only 18% of therapists are Latinx. So Now, you know, you have this abundance of Latinx people in America. Do you have enough therapists? So now what do you do with that piece, right? Like that cultural piece, because there's also Latinx people who are Latinx, but don't speak Spanish. And sometimes it's very hard to translate words in Spanish to English, right? Where people can understand. Like I'll have friends say, "Mm, I don't know the English word for that, Anisha. Like I can't kind of figure it out. And what does that look like if you're in therapy trying to talk to someone, trying to explain to someone what's going on with you? 
And, you know, they don't speak your language. You know, that's not your first language. English is not your first language. It's very difficult. Yeah. I, I would say, like, even myself, who I am not foreign-born, I am U.S., I was born here in the U.S., and even with working with families and speaking to families, there are some things that I do not understand. And so um, I try to understand more, and there's I try to understand some concepts, and if something strikes me as being different, like, I'm, that's me being open, right? But that's what that's what I'm born with, right? That's what I, the work that I do. A lot of people are not like that. One other thing that I was, I was born into, um, my, I'm Puerto Rican. My background's Puerto Rican. My family did not speak Spanish to me. My, yeah. I was one of those, um, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Spanish, but I don't speak Spanish. You know, and so, and that was looked down upon. <laughs> I have and those words. It is looked right. down upon. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, but listen, I made it a point that if this was going to be my passion and this is my people, and I saw a lot of resistance from my community because they just don't understand. And there's a big language barrier that makes them not even willing, that just closes them right up. And so I am now a fluent Spanish speaker. I can't write it, but I can speak it. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, yes, I am. And But it, it took me to practice, to learn more, to practice even with my grandmother. There was times when my grandmother, I'm speaking to her and she's like, you don't say it like that. And I'm like, well, teach me, go ahead, <laughs> tell me, you know? And so, <laughs> although I get the concepts and I get like our traditions and I get where some of our ideas come from, the language is such just to speak in your native tongue means so much to me. It means so much to the people that I work with and the families that I help. And so that language barrier is so huge. Even in um, when we talk about, you know, I know that uh, you know, even mastery, we're talking about like equity and like, how do we look at, you know, being culturally responsive? Um, and so my big push and, you know, I think my big push, especially because we're in a big Latinx community and Hispanic community is we need to translate things. We need, I cannot be the one that's always Stopping my sessions or stopping what I'm yes. doing because I have to translate for an IP meeting or, or those kind of meetings. Like we have to be responsible to find people that we can bring in to make our community feel comfortable and speak that. I think you hit it on a nail when you talk about just more people who speak the language because it's not fair to that one clinician who speaks Spanish, right? They always have to be pulled in from whatever they're doing to kind of translate. I was also thinking about when you look at the Latinx community, all of the subgroups, right? So there's Mexican, Puerto Rican, Salvadorian, Guatemalan, Dominican, right? And so that's all different cultures too, right? Mm -hmm. And so do we have the therapists that are culturally competent enough to understand those cultures and to think about what their stereotypes are and their biases and their values. And how can I, you know, allow this person into my office in whatever way and just listen and learn from them and have a better understanding. Even if I am from the Latinx community, that doesn't mean that, you know, I could be Puerto Rican. That doesn't mean that I understand, you know, what it means to be Guatemalan, right? And mm -hmm. for me to just be patient and listen and learn is so important. That is important um, because I even see it within, I even see it within my 
Puerto Rican community, right? Like we, you know, we're not immigrants, but we also have to understand that all of our Hispanic and Latinx community, we see each other differently. Mm. Um, and so I try to get, it's, it's crazy because they're like, oh, you're, you know, like some people can make a broad statement. It's like, you're all the same. And it's just like, uh, I understand we speak the same language, but our cultures are so different. Oh, oh, that right. Is- There's we got we just got a little note from our producer and he wanted to remind us that in the communities, all the Spanish speaking communities, the speed of the language is different because I did. I did. I have that thought a little bit. I mean, I don't speak Spanish, but I have like two. I have maybe like three phrases that I can say if I'm traveling, (laughs) I can get a cup of coffee and I can get food and I can find my way to the hotel. But um, that being said, one of the things about culture and one of the things that I was thinking about is that there is that piece for when we're treating people and we're really like thinking. And I know that we've talked about this a couple of times this month is that uh, for me as an analyst, I'm always like, what, what are you dreaming in? Like what if you're dreaming in Spanish, then that's where your feelings are. So really Mm -hmm. having the person who sits Mm -hmm. in front of you who can hear your feelings in a way that it, that they can be heard really. Like if somebody was saying it to me, um, I know I've had, when I've had people, oh, if I've had any spin, you know, as we're talking, I do not know, think that I have actually had a Spanish speaking person in my private practice. I do not think so. That's very interesting. Meaning one of your clients? One of my clients. Okay. And I, but I've treated, I mean, I treat a very broad group of people. And I think that that's just, just an awareness that I'm having at this particular moment. Cause I know that one of the things that I would ask is what are your dreams in and what, who, when you were spoken to, when you were a baby, what was the language? And so because that's where we start with our feeling, that's where our words start, where our preverbal what was our pre-verbal communication language in just a little, just a little side note <laughs> over here on analysis. Um, so what kind of changes, Jessica, do you want to see in, um, in the, in the community in regards to mental health? Like what, how can we as professionals, as clinicians, I mean, I would love to know how to speak Spanish. I could do that, yeah. but how, but like, how do we, how are we going to get more, um, more Latinx people interested in therapy and also interested in being therapists? So I was thinking about this a lot and I'm like, well, if we start from the whole cultural aspect, right? La- the Latinx and the Hispanic community go to religion and they go to psychic and they go to um you know whatever spiritual um guidance they can get i love the psychics i know and they also (laughs) i'm stuck in the psychics we're going to talk about the psychics in a minute go ahead (laughs) and they really do go to their first entry into even anything mental health is their medical provider and a lot of a lot of our community is treated, their mental health is treated through their medical provider. And so when we look at that, I'm like, that's an issue. We need to go to where they're going first and really talk about mental health and really 
have those organizations, whatever it is, kind of drive this idea that we have unutilized mental health services in our communities because we're not accessing them or there's all this stigma around it. But if they're going somewhere, why why isn't it being more promoted? You know, why is it? And especially the education, the education around mental health, mm-hmm. right? And I think like working with these organizations, working with these, uh, you know, where they go to already and educating and trying to like promote it. I think that may be an avenue. You know, I'm not. That's a good one, though. No, it's a very good point. I mean, if you think, if we think about it, and we're like, okay, so we know the community goes to the doctor, and for the most part, trust their medical provider, we hope we, which is a conversation that we've started having here on Be Real, that maybe that might not be the case. But um, if that relationship is strong enough that then the medical providers, the physical medical providers are like, okay, but some of these it's like some of these symptoms may be related to your overall your overall wellness, your overall mental wellness, right. may your depression, your anxiety, whatever it is that is keeping you from moving forward. And maybe you don't have to be in the emergency room or you don't have to be at the doctor's office. Like these things can to take the stigma away from it from that perspective. If the first line of response is doctors. My thought about the medical industry as a person of color, as a black woman, is that sometimes my doctor can feel very cold. And the thought is that if I come in and I'm kind of telling you these feelings and these like physical symptoms, right, and they decide to diagnose me, and then they probably want to maybe offer me medication because that's what PCP may do, then I'm probably not going to accept it if, and as a person of color, we're, we're not just a Latinx community, but as a person of color, I'm going to be like, wait, 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 hold on. Because as a person of color, the thing is, we don't do medication. Like you have to have a real conversation. It has to be a talking. You have to talk me into that. That will not be the first thing that I decide to do. So I feel like there might be a disconnect if you go to your doctor and you talk to them about symptoms and they want to then diagnose you then talk to you about medication, you're not really ready for that. Like you need something where it's more kind of engaging and, and, you know, you just kind of have someone to talk to. I think as people of color, we're more community based, like familiar, you know, I want to talk to my doctor, like, how are you? I want them to ask me about how's my family doing? Like, I want them to ask me more about who I am. And when you go into the doctor's office, it just feels very cold at times. So I can see if that is that first line, then I don't know how they make it to the mental health professional. Like, I don't even know if they ever right. get there based on talking to the PCP. And that, that is exactly what happens. You come in, you, you present with um, a diagnosis, right? You, uh, DSM diagnosis. And instead of the doctor saying, this is like, you don't go and have a a foot injury and the doctor's like, well, let me go work on your foot. If they're a primary care, they go and send you to a foot specialist. Right. Mm -hmm. So it should be the same screening. You should not be diagnosing or prescribing any psychotropic medication and you should refer it out to a specialist. And so, and that's not what's happening. It's okay. You're presenting with this. I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you some anxiety medication or some depression medication, which is probably not, not even valid. Cause you're talking about our communities that are impacted by trauma and 
their symptoms could be more aligned with something and, and trauma. And I see this with younger kids, right? I see this with kids who are being misdiagnosed all the time. Mm-hmm. And I am so honest and such an advocate for my parents that when we're like, okay, we're going to take them to the doctor. I'm like, if you're going to a medical provider, your PCP, I'm going with you. Oh, there we go. I love that. I got, I got scales. I said, because I think of it like our students and our chill, our black and Hispanic children are being overdiagnosed with, with ADHD when some of the the medications are not working because it's it's, it's misdiagnosed. And yeah, I mean, for African Americans, the same thing. Like adults, we're more likely to get diagnosed with schizophrenia than a mood disorder. Yeah. So the same thing that misdiagnosis is a huge component of why there's this mistrust of the healthcare system. Right, and so then that I feel like there has to be like this system of change um, that is higher than us, right? Like mm-hmm. that is changing. <laughs> policies that say doctors if you are um if you are a pcp and don't have this special certification for mental health you should not be prescribing you should be referring out i wish it was like that it's not like that in most <laughs> cases which is why i'm like bringing scales oh look I'm she's like, got them with her <laughs> <laughs> i bring scales I'm like, nope, here is the mother scales, here's the school scales, here's the child scales. I'm like, please look at the data. This this is not aligning with ADHD, which I know you're probably gonna give, or this is not aligning with, you know, because it 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 takes us to advocate and especially with our families and our Latinx families who language is not a barrier. Or even um, I do this a lot with my with my families with of color and my black children. I'm like, listen, like the parents don't know how to advocate and go through the system, mm-hmm. and they need that support. That's that lack of support because it's always like, you know, you go figure it out. How are they going to figure it out? They have all this pressure, and so I'm always. Like that's our job, right? The advocacy part, and so I always take it the extra step because um, that it's a it's it's a big miss. It's a big miss. I mean, what a beautiful thing! So we need Jessica or someone <laughs> like Jessica. Yeah, but you are. Ch- I know. Like, yes, we say that like all the change needs to be made at the top level, and that's true. But the change, the grassroots change that you make every time you go to a doctor with a family and the support and the healing that happens as a result, that is amazing. That is just, wow. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's so, I having, you know, when we worked at the Go Project together, I remember being advocating on behalf of the families and like really trying to like being at schools with them and sitting and translating and like using the privilege of being a white woman to really get those families heard and knew I could, knew I could make it happen and knowing what, what families are up against when they go to the doctor, when they go to the school system, Mm -hmm. when they're trying to get the services that they need and the misdiagnosis and the ADHD that gets misdiagnosed when kids really, a lot of them, they're yes for the trauma. And some of them just need to like, run at recess and they don't let them out. Mm -hmm. Right. They just, the expectation that kids can sit for that long or what, um, is, it can be so heartbreaking for sure. And the medic, uh, and the misdiagnosis and the medication and the taking medication and the not taking medication and the not trusting and not understanding 
just, it's so, it's so much. I mean, yes, but we are changing just a little bit, just a little bit. Like we can get overwhelmed by the system, but we are making change every (laughs) single day. Also too, one of the things in in terms of like, even our society is talking more about um, trauma Mm -hmm. and we're talking, we're bringing Mm -hmm. it to the forefront. And I think that in itself is a great change. I see a lot more people talking about trauma. I see a lot more communities talking about, even if they don't mention trauma, they, they mention their experience and they mention about healing and they are mentioning about, and it's not our words that we're used to. Sometimes it's, um, talking about even if they're talking about self-care they're talking about let me get myself together like and taking that space I'm like oh that's little changes yes <laughs> it's so good what are you thinking over there Nisha um what I was thinking about change I just think that um <laughs> if we want to see more Latinx therapists more you know yeah. therapists from the Asian diaspora more African-American therapists I think that there has to be um, maybe some extra help with this, the financial, you know, burden that comes with graduate school, right? Like, you know, sometimes people can get like scholarships and they may have the money for undergraduate, but for graduate school, sometimes that money is not there and you can't become a therapist unless you have a graduate education. So maybe we need to have some things in place that say like, you know, from the government that say, if you, if we train you as a mental health professional and you go back into these communities of color that need you, like we'll help you out with your student loans, you know, but we have stuff like that. But I have to tell you, I worked in a, um, I'm sorry, I worked in a mental health clinic in the Bronx, which was one of the poorest neighborhoods in the country. And I still couldn't get any money back on my student loan. So Mm -hmm. I know things are out there, But, you know, it's just so hard to get the help, you know, and as an African-American woman, you know, to be in debt. And I'll just say it, $70,000 in student debt. It's a lot of money. I went to NYU just like you, you know, taking out those loans and, you know, signing out that paperwork. You want the education. You want to be out there and you want to do the work. And for me, which I feel like similar to you, Jessica, I I want to do the work with my people. That was so important to me. Right. And I wanted to get the best education. But yeah, it's killing me that I pay so much in student loans every month. I pay 800 bucks a month in student loans. And let's be clear, not all social workers make great money, right? Like, so we take on this debt and we want to do this work. I just think that um, if we can get more help with that barrier, right, that financial burden. Well, I can't get rid of student loans, but <laughs> I wish I could. But one of my favorite things um as you both might know, is training mental health professionals because I had a little hand in both of your careers. Yes, um, and I'm pretty sure I know that uh, Anisha is um, supervising and working with people and we have an intern uh, program at Be Well because, you know, I still have an intern program, Jessica. Um, and I think you are taking on interns as well. Yes. I am taking on interns. Um, it's funny. I started, I kind of started the whole like intern for the social work department in Camden. And so it's, yes, it's a, it's a big thing. And so it's a big thing. (laughs) It's it's a big beast. Um, I just advocated for myself this year. and was like, Hey, listen, if I'm going to do all the work for all the schools in Camden and masters and get an intern, I'm going to need a stipend or something. Like That's right. <laughs> yes, That's yes okay. you do. Pay it's you a what, lot of work. They should pay you what you're worth. Yes. And I, and it's, it's, it means so much. And Diana, because 
I had the best experience with you and I had such a learning experience and I'm, and I know how important it is to have a supervisor who can be there and teach you the way and be patient with you. Also understand that you're a learner. Also understand that you're open to so many opportunities. To me, that is so important. So I take it very, very seriously. And I know like, some, and it's funny because like, you know, some social workers, some social work supervisors may be like, oh, they're just the intern. I have to even advocate in my own school where they're just like, oh, they're just the intern. I'm like, no, like this, you cannot do, you are slapping me in my face right now. That's like this right. so important in this field just to see that. And I'm just like, we need to bring us up. We need to bring up the whole social work field, the intern field. I didn't see that being placed on the relay teachers. You didn't tell the <laughs> relay teachers that they didn't care, you know, like, <laughs> right. Kind of thing. And so I'm just like, no, our, our department is, you know, our field and especially the internship opportunity is so important. And do you get a lot of interns uh, from your community? I mean, from the Latinx community, obviously. You know what? No. And that has been a, a major issue, right? Like, and going back to um, what you're saying, um, Anisha, like we do not have a lot of representation of um, the Latinx community in this field. Um, there are some, I'm not going to say that there's not. Even I, I want to say for the past three years, I had all um, white interns and they were, they were great with the kids and all of that. However, there's still that barrier of, I'm working with someone who doesn't look like me, doesn't, you know, mm -hmm. may not understand me, mm -hmm. may not understand where I'm coming from, you know. Um, and so this year I was just like, you guys have to send me a person of color, someone who is bilingual, someone like you have right. to send them into my school. My my students need to see I I my students need to see more of people that look like them. I I want to even say, like, even in my school, I'm probably the only Latina in the school who is represented in a higher position in the school mm. as an educator. We don't have any Hispanic teachers in my my particular building. And so I'm like, come on, we have to represent in other ways. Yep. So I want to, we can talk a little bit about your time. Thinking about all the time that we spent together. I mean, you were such a good intern. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, but that was a really rough year for me. I, um, yeah, I, I, I had a rough time. Um, my part, my then partner, uh, moved out while I was working. <laughs> forgot you were to at work. Well, I was at work. Uh, okay. Forgot to leave a note. Um, and I came home to an empty apartment. So it was very difficult. It was a very difficult breakup. And, um, yes, <laughs> but you guys, you guys held it together and you just like, you made it easy for me. But, um, I know that professionally those things are hard in the parallel yeah. process of life. Yes. Do I you remember that, Jessica? <laughs> Yes, I, I remember it completely. Like, I remember it not because she was a master or anything. I remember it because I was like, wow, 
she's being vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and she's still kicking ass. And, you know, like, and she's still, and she's still grabbing us together and having us go out there and be the best department um, under her. So I was just like, okay, I could do this. And it's funny because I went through a really uh, difficult breakup this year. And so, and I had my interns, you know, there was moments where I was like, I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be tough. And then I had a moment where I was just like, like it all just over. And, you know, and <laughs> I mean, I could cry just thinking about it because I know <laughs> I know what that's and, <sighs> right. And unfortunately, he's, you know, I it wasn't a situation where I didn't have to see him. He he worked at the school. Of course he does. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> it's so hard. And it's but, such I mean, with the work that we do and that um, that you could that I could provide that ego strength for you to be able to keep your department together and create, and that you've created an intern program within the school system and that you are responsible for it and you're running and you're running it. I mean, those things that give back to the, to the work that we do. And when I see it grow and the people and the wonderful, 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 wonderful people that I have supervised and the work that they do, I, I am like a proud mama all the time. And what a wonderful job. I mean, this one over here does amazing things as well. (laughs) Um, And it's just, there's, and there's constant give back and feedback. And I think that that is one of the things our profession really has to focus on is that, and I know they talk about it in social work school, but a lot of it, a lot of the give back we do, and we don't, we don't like, it can be it's selfless, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. and it's not seen. And so, but we see as we're sitting here now, the impact that we're making on our communities and people. And like with this podcast, our goal is to just touch as many souls as we can and to like raise awareness on mental health as, and get in the ears of as many people as we can. So, I mean- I could go on and on about how proud I am of you, Jessica. It's so amazing. Um, so I do want to switch gears just a little bit because in your role as a social worker and creating this intern program and holding it all together, uh, you work in a school. So are you going back to school in the fall? What's the deal? So, <laughs> gotta take a breath for that one. Sorry. I have to. I have to take a breath. It, everything is so up in the air right now. Um, they have a plan. They have like three plans. So there's like this plan and this plan and this plan. So they, one of the plans is the kids come in two days out of the week, and the rest is distant learning, uh, which means they're doing virtual learning on on their computer at home. Um, another plan is they can opt out of going into the building and they can, um, you know, they can watch, I mean, not watch, but do distant learning. Or the other plan is that we did the whole school just does distant learning based on what the governor like puts out there. Right. So we're <laughs> A, B, and listen, C, A, B, and C. And we're trying to be prepared for each plan. And so like, there's a lot going out on top of our own anxiety and concerns um, about what's going on and how we're putting ourselves at risk. And, you know, I, you know, I even had to bring my own daughter. I had to bring Ava with me to school. Like no matter where she goes, she has to go with me to school. Like I can't do anything else. That's also 
putting, you know, a little bit more pressure. It's all, it's all a lot. It's a, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> and so you home, let me just make sure I have this right. So you homeschooled and you supervised interns and you kept your community together and you provided services all over the internet, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> all over zoom or google classroom or whatever right. whatever you could um, use both and, <laughs> yeah both of them and now we don't know what's going to happen in the fall right so we not we knowing the not knowing, and I'm like, I want to be prepared. I don't know. I know. There's no knowing. It's very anxiety-producing, the not knowing. Yeah. I think for me, when I was thinking about this, is like that social-emotional education for these kids are going to be so important, right? Like just how do they regulate emotions, right? Like how do they have like empathy and compassion for themselves? Because they've been through a lot. Like their whole lives have been disrupted, you know, for the last five months. How do you help them problem-solve? How, how did your um, interns do with like kind of helping the kids adjust when all of this kind of first happened? Yeah, I, I think they did well in checking in with the kids and talking to um, the kids. At first, we saw this wave, right? Like the students were like, Woo, yes, I get to stay home. And then they're like, wait, the social piece that's so important for um, students and for kids. Th that was lacking and so we saw this this increase of depression and this onset mm -hmm. of sadness and so uh, them being able to talk to them or organize their friend groups to jump on zoom and and log into zoom and um that's how we basically and they already built relationships so the, st it, the students um already knew them i think the big challenge coming up is that we're doing all this distant learning and coming in September and kids are having new faces, like new teachers for their next mm. grade, oh, right. new students. There is this lack, there's hard, there's no rapport built yet, yeah. you know? And so we got to try to build it over this digital platform and this virtual platform. It, that's the biggest challenge. I'm like, how are we going to creatively maneuver this? <laughs> that's a huge challenge. I think that um, that's something that I've, Obviously, we've done all of our sessions over over Google Meet, over Zoom, over the phone, and the engagement has been different. And we work with adults for the most part, but like how we stay together as a group and like in this virtual space and like really be able to connect to one another and like what is what's that for the long term? What is that going to look like? So I can appreciate from an adult perspective, but you work with you work with wee ones. I mean, come on, K through eight, they're just. They need a. They need to like bump into each other and like right, trip like, over each other and like do all right. that stuff that they do. Especially like, for our, our eighth graders, because they're in that teenage years. Mm -hmm. and, like, friendship I is all of their life. Like they <laughs> totally. I mean, and they switch. Like, and how do you? You can't really switch friend groups when your friend groups are on Zoom. So that's kind of like. How does that work out? Like, who do you, there's no going to the lunchroom, which is where like everything really takes place and happens when you're in the eighth grade. Yes. My goodness. Um, Jessica, I can't thank you enough for spending the morning with us. We're not done. I'm just thanking you again and telling you one more time how proud I am of you. But to end each episode, in case we don't know you enough, we have a few things. We have a few questions for you to answer. That would be from me. Yes. Um, so we asked like one funny question and kind of one serious question. So I'll start with a serious question. Um, 
how have you been kind today? Oh, how have I been kind today? I actually um, participate in, well, not participate, but I meet up with um, my girlfriend and we just like work out. And today I was tired. (laughs) I did not want to wake up at 6.30 in the morning. So I think my kindness and knowing how much connection is so important for her and for myself. I got up at 6.30 and I made it there. And I we always end with like positives for each other. So oh, <laughs> yay. Moving the body has been pretty hard doing COVID. So that's good. I'm glad you're out working out. <laughs> yeah. Or no, I've been following Jessica. She's on Instagram. She's killing it in the workout. She's very inspiring. I am. She's I very am. inspiring. She is like sometimes two a days. I'm like, oh God. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no, she is killing it. <laughs> it's funny because so, my mom my mom also is like, if you don't work out, you're gonna turn in you know how like Snickers has that commercial, like you turn Oh into, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <It's> she's like <true>. no. So my other question is interesting, but I'm thinking about your age. So I feel like I might have to change it up a little bit. So I usually ask, what's your favorite 90s jam? But I might go with, what is your favorite like 2000 jam? Like 2000 to 2010. (laughs) I can't go too far back. You're 80s baby? Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize, Jessica. (laughs) So so we'll give you 90s jam then. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Why did I think that you were in your 20s, Jessica? That's because, why. I mean, look at her. Because she I looked like you were in your 20s. So that's what happened. There it is. Looks like a baby. A lot of assumptions here. Um, but it's so funny. I don't, I don't do well with thinking on the spot with these uh, questions. Like, going into the past. <laughs> okay. Let's just. You should, said, you should have said 2000. And I'll be like, wait, what was in 2000? <laughs> that's okay. What, this just so what's your favorite old school jam? There it is. We'll just go old school. <laughs> My old school jam. Uh, when it gets played, you are ready to dance. Like, I mean, ready to go on a dance floor. There's so many. Oh. <laughs> you just got to pick I'm one. A R- and I'm an R&B girl. Okay. So Give us what you got. Like, my R&B has to go. Um, uh, you know what? I can't, like, I can't stop. Like, when... Deborah Cox comes on and mm-hmm. I just get in my feelings and I just like <laughs> start singing and like <laughs> nobody's supposed to be I here. Yeah, like, I just yeah. <laughs> okay, there yeah, it is. Yeah, that, all right, is. all she's all in her feelings right now. Look at her. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you got there. Ask me in another month and then I'll <laughs> you'll have a whole different feeling. It's true. Well, thank you again, Jessica. We really appreciate it. Anisha and I are going to try to get this sign sign off right today. Mm-hmm. Ready? So we are still in a pandemic. So that means, my friends, stay, stay safe, safe, wash, wash your hands, hand, and, and wear the mask. mask. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. See you next week, guys. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Be Real podcast. Stay connected to us and subscribe to Be Real wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are feeling it, how about a five-star review? If our conversation sparked a question, join us in the Be Real podcast Facebook group. 
We hope that you have walked away with some new insights, curiosities, and ideas to better help you on your journey to mental wellness and overall well-being. I encourage you to go to BeWellPsychotherapy.com and check out our services and programs. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com. Okay, we have to stop here, but I'll see you next week.